Graham got a little excited there. That was very straightforward. <laughs> We're focusing on finances in this series of messages because it's such a keystone area of life. If you can handle your money the right way, then it has a ripple effect on other areas like family, um, marriage, children, calling, and so on and on. Um, so in this series, what we've done is we've been working through the Bible's perspective on the various aspects of money management. We tried to dig in, see what the Bible says about it. It's extremely practical when it comes to financial principles. When, when you read what it says about money and then you do it, you begin to experience the truth, the reality of who God is. But you have to experience the reality for it to begin to make sense to you. And so today what we're going to do is we're, we're going to have sort of like a family talk around the kitchen table. And we're going to dig into specifically what the Bible says about generosity and about giving. And we're going to, I have got a worksheet in the listening guide if you want to see what it's, what it is there. And we're going to do a worksheet kind of sitting around the, the dinette. And we're doing the worksheet. We're figuring out exactly what God says about giving to church and giving to other things. And one of the reasons we're doing this is because our, our, our finances, our, our wallet is not disconnected from our, our spiritual life. There's a direct connection <laughs> to our heart in the way that we handle our money. Jesus has been saying this, uh, or actually, Jesus said it. <laughs> a long time ago. And so he talked a lot about money and possessions. We've mentioned that a few times because it's a major indicator of your spiritual health. And spiritual health flows into physical health. That's what you find. It's interesting. Uh, in 2015 or 2016, Cleveland Clinic did an article um, and, and the article was basically about the health benefits associated with generosity. The article calls the benefits a helper's high. It's a good kind of high. You know, that, that, that sounds good. Um, here, here are the benefits. Lower blood pressure, increased self-esteem, less depression, lower stress levels, a longer life, Greater happiness. In 2015, U.S. News and World Report included an article about the feel-good effects of giving and how they begin in the brain. The article is based on research by Stephen Post, who's the director of the Center of Medical Humanities at New York Stony Brook University. And Post calls the response, I, I like these little taglines on the articles. 
He calls the response in the brain to giving the giver's glow. So we've got the helper's high and the giver's glow. We're on a roll here uh, today. Um, basically, he says when we're generous, it triggers a response in our brain chemistry. Philanthropy doles out several different happiness chemicals. This is interesting, including dopamine, endorphins that give people a sense of euphoria and oxytocin, which is associated with tranquility, serenity, and inner peace. That's some good stuff that flows from generosity. If it's a meaningful donation, Post says, it can have a significant impact. But if it's trivial or just grudging or whatever, probably not. So you're not going to get the giver's glow or the helper's high if you're just grudging. If, if it's meaningful, though, then... Those things. It's, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed because we keep discovering what the Bible has said for centuries, for actually thousands of years. Proverbs 11:25 says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Does that sound like helpers high or givers glow? God made us. He designed us. He put our insides together. And so the studies keep affirming what the Bible has been saying for centuries. Generous people are joyful people. When you get in it, we're going to look at two passages today. We're going to look at a passage from the New Testament that was written after Jesus lived and died and raised again. And then we're going to look at a passage from the Old Testament that was written about 500 years before he, he lived. But we're going to start with 2 Corinthians, which was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church he had started. What he did in the first century was he, he started a bunch of churches, and then he would write letters to follow up with them and help them figure out how to deal with the things they were dealing with in life from a Christian perspective. Some of them included correction. Some of them included, um, like, encouragement and challenge. Um, But in this letter, 2 Corinthians, he's, he's dealing with some stuff that's going on in the congregation that's not great. It's, it's, it's several chapters long. I, I never write, I was thinking, I never write those kinds of letters. You know, like several chapters, it's kind of a beefy letter. I'm writing a note, a text, you know, a tweet, 142 words. And, you know, I'm just not this wordy, but Paul had some things to say. And at one point to the Corinthians, he he's encouraging generosity. And he's communicating the needs of some churches in Jerusalem who were starving. The people in those churches were starving. There was, there was famine going on. There, there was persecution. They were starving. And he's encouraging the Corinthians who are in Greece to give and be generous toward the churches in Jerusalem whose people were starving. This is what he says. 
The point is this. This is a wrap-up sentence, paragraph. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give what he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So let's look more closely at this passage, exactly what it says here. It says the point is this. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. Paul makes the point. The blessing you receive in response, and, and this is God who's built this into the way life works. The blessing you receive in giving is proportional to the amount you give. Jesus said the same thing. He said, the measure you use in being generous is the measure you get back from God. This is, this is God saying this. So if I have a little teaspoon and I dole out, that's how I sow, then I can expect to get a teaspoon of blessing back. But if I bring in a big dump truck and I you know, I dole it out in the dump truck size, then I can expect that back. That's the way God works. This is how it is. This, this isn't a formula, but it's, it's a description of how God's economy works. This is what he's built into life. If you're a Christ follower, um, you can't expect the Lord, you can expect, you can expect the Lord to lead you to new levels of generosity. And what we're doing here is a little kitchen table, dinette around the dinette table talk that's aimed at Christ followers. If you're not yet following Christ and you haven't yet made him your Lord, then you'll find out what, what God wants as we handle our finances. And that's what we've been doing in this series. So, if you're a Christ follower, you can expect God to keep bumping up your level of generosity. That's, that's what I've experienced. And I'm, natively, I'm stingy guy. But he keeps, he keeps bumping me up. And so that's, that's what we see here. In verse 7, Paul shifts to not the gift itself, but the heart behind the gift. Each one must give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He, he says, don't just give out of obligation. Don't give because you feel like you have to or you're being forced to at gunpoint. God wants us to have the right attitude in giving. He, he, he says, don't, when, you, when you give, don't waffle. Don't be wishy-washy. Make a decision to give and do it. When you decide to give, do it cheerfully. Don't whine like Graham was talking about. <laughs> do it cheerfully. The word, it's an interesting word. This was originally written in the Greek. And I love the word for cheerful here. Hilarious in the Greek. And you can hear the word hilarious 
be cheerful, be magnanimous, be be glad. We're to give cheerfully without grudging. And when you aren't cheerful and you give out of guilt, it robs you of the joy of giving. No givers glow. No helpers high when you do giving that way. So keep asking God to help you arrive at the right attitude toward giving. We reap what we sow, and when we sow, our attitude really matters. So this is important to God. Paul turns our focus to God himself in this next verse. We can give with confidence. We can give cheerfully because of who God is. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He will give you the grace and sufficiency you need to be generous. The word sufficient here means satisfaction and contentment. When you extend yourself to give, God brings contentment. There, there's, there's a, a nudge toward contentment. We keep having to choose it, of course, but that's the way it works. With the perspective of this passage in mind, I want to turn to focus on a pattern of giving. I mentioned it last week. We talked about um, this pattern, and it's the 10-10-10-70 plan that I mentioned briefly last week. Uh, it's called this 10-10-10-70 plan because you got to get the right number of tens in there. And uh, it's called this because you start off, the first ten represents that you give 10% of everything you earn and you give it to God and his work through the church that you're a part of. So you give 10% off the top to God. This is the focus of this message. We've focused on the other things throughout the series, but that's the focus of this marriage. The second part of the 10-10-10 plan, 70 plan, is to take another 10% and invest it in some type of savings plan. So 10% goes to savings, you you give 10% to God, you give 10% to yourself, and if you're in debt, you take the third 10%, and you use it to pay off your debt. And man, that's, that's where freedom's found financially, for sure. And then you live off the 70%. Here, here's what it looks like on a spending chart. Um, there's a worksheet. This is the worksheet I mentioned to you on, uh, the, at the beginning of the message. And there's a little worksheet on the front page of the listening guide there that you can use as a, worksheet if you want. Um, if, if you're new to giving or if you're new to following Christ or you don't follow Christ yet, it, it might just scare the tar out of you to write these numbers down, but um, this, this is what, what we're saying here. This is what Scripture says. So if your total income is $82,000, um, which is the average income in California, the average income is 82000 So write down your own 
there's the example on one side, and then you could write down your own income on the other side. You take the tithe out of that, drop a zero, basically, and that's 10% of your income. This is what God says for his people to give. And then you take taxes out. I've, I've used 20%, so double the 10%, and I've used... Uh, 20% because taxes for this income range are 18 to 25% typically in, in the 82,000 range. And so uh, you can figure yours out probably quickly. And then if you have debt, debts to repay, take out the debt repayment, another 10%, $8,200 by my example. And you should use 10% to work out a debt. That's, that's what I'm suggesting. This is not in the Bible, but these are some, some ways you could think about your budget. And then take out savings for future and emergencies, and then you're left with $41,000 to live on. This is the amount you, you live on. So you give first, you save second. Pay off debt if needed, and you live on the rest. That's the 10, 10, 10, 70 plan that I'm, I'm mentioning today. Uh, I'd like to take the time, though, to look at a pivotal passage about God's expectations for his people. And this is the kitchen table part. This is the, we're around the dinette set, and we're... We're sitting at the table, and we're talking about what, what does God want from his people in the area of giving and generosity? What God says about giving is the most important financial principle that you find in the Bible. Because he, he builds in uh, realities, and I call them unbreakable laws, into life. And if you don't know about this dynamic, you hurt yourself. And so this is, this is the most important one. If you don't yet follow Christ or you're new to following Christ, uh, it may not make, I'm thinking it probably won't make immediate sense to you. And it may seem like to get to the level of giving God once, I've got a huge mountain. It's, it feels insurmountable. To climb. But this is a major way that we get to know God. It's, it's, a, it's a very important thing to understand about God's relationship to us as we handle our finances. So I'd, I'd like you to try to understand what the Bible is saying before you write it off. Just, just try to understand it. Try to hear what God's saying through the scriptures without getting defensive about it if it's new to you. And after I walk through it, if you want to, you know, just throw it in the circular file, that, no problem. That's, God is, he always allows us to decide whether or not we're going to obey him. He gives us the choice. And so what we're going to do is dig in and you can... You can figure it out and make up your own mind, it, which is what Second Corinthians said to do, didn't it? <laughs> said, 
Make up your mind. Decide in your heart what you're going to give. So in the book of Malachi, there's a dialogue between God and his people. And we're able to listen in to the dialogue. So God has a conversation, or there's a conversation with God about money. Malachi 3, 7 through 12 says, Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So they have drifted off from obeying God. These are his people, people of Israel, that God was working with to try to show the the world, the rest of the world, the wisdom of his ways. And they've drifted off, and he says, return to me, and He's, he's having this, he's having both ends, God is having both ends of this conversation. You ever, you ever done that in your mind? I mean, you, you know. So, there's, the, the, the idea is, hey, how, how have we drifted off? What has happened? He says, but you ask, how are to re, we, how are we to return? So, he says, you've drifted off, and then the next question is, how do we return? And God says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. And you're like, whoa, we're robbing you. How are we robbing you? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offering. You are under a curse then, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. In other words, Check it out to see if this is real. You, if you, if you obey me finance, in the financial arena and give a tithe, you will experience that I am who I say I am. So test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the, the vines in your fields, and, not, and they will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Some of the language here might be lost on us, so I'd like to give a quick definition of the key words. First of all, tithe. The, the word tithe literally means 10%. The term is used for the practice of taking 10% of everything you earn, whether through labor or inheritance or windfall or sale, and giving it to God. That's, that's what he's talking about there. It should be based on all of your income. That's what's meant by the whole tithe. So what was happening is... People were playing games with God, or trying to anyway. <laughs> they were trying to play games with God and coming up with rules that would allow them not to give based on their whole tithe, their, their whole income. So they would hold back some of the tithe. They'd come up with reasons to do that. This is a hard issue with God. Jesus has been saying that. And God's people are commanded to give a tithe out of gratitude realizing that everything comes from him. And it, it's a way 
if you do this, if you obey God in this, you find out how real he is. Offering is the second word. So that's how they were robbing God in tithes and offerings. An offering is anything you give above and beyond your tithe. 10% was considered the bare minimum of what God wants his people to return to him. In the Bible, out of gratitude and commitment, people would not only give the tithe, but they would give an offering above and beyond the tithe. Like our Christmas offering that we collect every year. Jesus affirmed this practice in Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three, by stating that people should tithe. What what it, it's so it's so dangerous to to understand what God wants externally and to do it and then to miss the heart behind it. This is a very common thing in the way we're wired as human beings. And so Jesus was talking to some guys who were like professional hypocrites and people who would do the stuff that God told us to do and their heart wouldn't be in it and they would hold back tithe. You know, they would tithe, but they wouldn't do any other kindnesses. And so he says, you know, you should tithe, but you need to give God your heart. And that's what he's saying here, is that we should tithe, but we should give God our heart. And the tithe is the minimum of what God's asking for. It's, it's the floor, not the ceiling of our giving. Uh, the next phrase or the next word is storehouse. The storehouse, we, we, don't, we don't have a temple. We'll find out we are the temple. But the storehouse was attached to the temple where the people of Israel went to worship. It was the place where temple funds, resources, and valuables were stored for use. The temple was the designated place for worship, the center of the people of God, their community of faith. It was the central organizer for the ministry of the people of God. And over time, when Jesus came and the church started, the temple became the church. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? He's speaking about us. And it's, it's a spiritual temple. We are God's temple. God's temple is sacred. And you are that temple. So throughout the New Testament, the tithes and offerings of God's people were to go to their church. You, you could give above and beyond offerings to other places, but not the tithe. That's the pattern. The tithe is not what you give to the United Way or a parachurch organization or disaster relief, but the tithe is what you give to your church. So when God's people don't tithe, there's another word we need to define, which is curse. Um, if they don't allocate their finances the way God asks, it's a very serious thing. It places us under a curse. In other words, 
we're on our own to make life work without God's help. That's, that's the idea of a curse. It means to be outside of God's blessing, outside of his umbrella of protection and provision. So you're, you're operating independently in life of his supernatural oversight and intervention. So that's, that's what the passage says. I've actually experienced this. I, uh, I, my father-in-law helped me while we were in graduate school to purchase a car. And it, it was a used car. And it, it ended up having some trouble. But one of the moments at which it had trouble, it was like the cost of the repairs were around 400 bucks. And God immediately brought it to mind that I had forgot to tithe that same exact amount. You know, I'm in graduate school studying to go into the ministry. I should know better. <laughs> so God got my attention that way. And that's, that's what he's talking about here, in, in, or that God's talking about in Malachi. Uh, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. So he, he uses finances to get our attention. And then blessing, which has to do with God's protection and uh, provision and beyond. So test me in this, he says, and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Some people read this passage and they think, okay, this is awesome. I'm going to tithe and that is going to be the path to fulfilling my financial dreams. I'm going to get the Mercedes or fill in the blank on whatever car you like. I mean, it's, you know, this is, this is the way it's going to go. So that's one extreme wrong. The other extreme is, thinking that there is no relationship at all between my giving and my relationship with God or how he's working in my life to bless or not. Neither of these extremes are biblical. The fact is, if you follow God into this aspect of financial management, he will bless your life. What that blessing looks like is up to God. It could be financial. It could also be a blessing of security, joy, depth of character, fulfillment, impact, influence, or creativity. It, it could be a blessing from God on your relationships, on your marriage, on your family, but this is for sure one way we can expect God to bless our giving if we tithe. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, you will not lose ground financially because of your generosity. You will never have to worry that your giving will take away from your supply. That's what God's point is here. Specifically, 
you just won't have to worry about your giving leaving you without enough to meet your own needs. God says, trust him in this. Trust him enough to do what he says, and I will supernaturally get involved in your life in a unique way and bless you. This is, this is what we're seeing here. This generosity thing is not my native reflex. I tend to live with a scarcity mentality. That's what I like to call it. I heard that phrase one time. I thought, hey, that's me. I'm scared. I'm not going to have enough. I, I can be afraid that I'm not going to have enough uh, of what I want. So when the opportunity comes to share with other people, then, you know, I hold back. There's a scene that plays out at restaurants often between Cindy and I. If we're out at a restaurant, this, this scenario doesn't show my best side either. Um, but anyway, after the meal, when it's time for dessert, I usually ask Cindy, hey, you want dessert? Lately, she says no a lot, but if she says no, that's okay. I, I don't really want dessert. Um, I order some, and she starts taking bites out of my dessert. Now, I'm not proud of this. No way I'm proud of this, but in that moment, I'm very stingy. My, like, real nature comes out. It's like, you know, I don't really need the dessert. I don't need the whole dessert. Lord knows that. But, man, I get, and I'm, I'm ashamed of that. And so there's this whole dynamic that goes on when, you know, we're sharing dessert that just tears me up. You know, I'm like, oh, no, you know, what in the world? I should know better. But this, this plays out. As we're handling our finances as well, it's the same kind of dynamic. We're like, I know God's saying this, but I feel so bad about the way I feel. But honestly, it's our native response. Okay, I'm speaking for myself here, to be stingy. But God says, if you'll obey me, if you'll do what I say in the area of finances... I am going to bless you beyond all that you could imagine. So as I wrap up the message, I'd like you to consider a next step. Uh, We're all at different places in terms of uh, giving to the church. And I'd like to ask you to consider whether God is leading you to move up to the next level of giving. Here are some levels of giving. They're sort of arbitrary, but they're just a way for you to uh, kind of hang your place where you're at on them. Um, So here here they are for you to evaluate your own level of giving. So non-giver, nothing in the pie, nothing in your financial pie goes toward giving or generosity. Generosity. That that doesn't make you a bad person. This just isn't your practice in life at this point. And then another level would be sporadic giver. Once in a while, you give like a tip. You throw a little bit in the offering when life's going well. You say thanks to God, but it depends on a few things. How how is life going? 
Also, how much money do I have left over after the other priorities? If the bills are high and debt is high, then it's likely this is a very sporadic practice. And then a regular giver is another level. Giving is always in your budget, and it's always part of the plan. At this point, you give regularly here at CIV. And then another step or another level could be a proportional giver. You give a proportion of your money, in other words, a percentage tied to your income. And that's, that's a good place to start if, if you're trying to figure out uh, how God wants you to give. Um, but then tither is 10%. You literally give 10% of your income. And then beyond the tithe is another level. Uh, sometimes after you've been faithful with the tithe, God brings opportunities along to give extra, and you joyfully do that. You will never give so much that God can't bless your generosity in proportion. You just can't do that. You, you, can't, you can't give more than he can give back in blessing. So as I wrap up this message, I'd like to invite you to move to the next level of giving or at least consider it and pray over it. So my next step today is to make a commitment to grow my generosity. Look for opportunities to be generous around me. And then here's some specific ways. Become a regular giver. If you're, if you're a non-giver or a sporadic giver, commit to becoming a regular giver. Uh, another step could be to take the tithe challenge and automate it. So we have a way to automate you know, payments today uh, in these days. And so the tithe challenge is this. Take three months of giving 10% of your income, and watch what God does. For, for some of us, that's a huge step, but maybe God lays that on your heart. Let's just check this out. Let's see how this, how this flows. Uh, it, automating removes the emotional decisions from uh, the equation and uh, will, could help move to a regular tither. And then... Maybe a, another level is give beyond the tithe. There's some opportunities and that you can ask God to start showing you where and how to give. So next week, we're going to wrap up uh, the series right on the money. We hope it's been a help to you. In two weeks, we're going to shift gears. We're going to change the channel, and we're going to do a series called Lives and Letters. And in this series... We're going to look at specific letters that the Apostle Paul wrote and Peter and James and John, the the closest to Jesus. We're going to look at letters that they wrote that are found in the New Testament. And specifically, we're going to try to see how we can learn to hear God through those letters. There's, there's some information that we're going to share that really will help you get into the Bible and make the most of it. And so that starts in two weeks from today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the truth that we 
find in scriptures. We thank you, God, for the blessing that you promise to those who obey your word. And I, I ask for your help, God, that we would all take this message, see what your word says, and apply it to our lives. Take it to heart and apply it to our lives so that uh, we, we honor you and you are blessed and we are blessed as we do what you've laid on our heart to do, God. We ask for your help in this, the strength to take these steps in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.